Awesome. It's great to be with you all. Uh, I want to thank Omar and the staff here for welcoming me and allowing me to uh, come and bring the word to you and worship in this space. And this space has a special place in our hearts. This is where we worshiped as a church for a number of years. Uh, now we'll just meet right next door in, in the room, literally uh, next door to here. But glad you all get to enjoy it. I'm sure you want to be back in uh, your, your other place of worship. But uh, we're going to be looking at uh, John uh, chapter 20. Uh, this is, uh, I know this is kind of a resurrection sermon. Easter was a, a handful of weeks ago, but I think there's relevance even still. I mean, we can be talking about the resurrection all of our lives. It's a, it's a critical part of our faith. But if you would turn there to uh, John chapter 20, uh, this is beginning in verse 19. Uh, the words are behind me. They're also in your worship guide, uh, wherever you want to turn. But please give attention to God's word. This is John uh, chapter 20. On that evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my fingers in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put, your, uh, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Throughout life, you know, we all have seasons where we, we have a certain amount of expectations on how things are going to go. It's totally normal, and there's actually a lot of health of planning for a future, having some level of expectations of what might happen. But there's often times where we're having to readjust those expectations. You know, life doesn't go the way we expected. Kind of every season of life, when we're kids, we're growing up under our parents' household. We cannot wait uh, to get out. We, you know, go to school, get a job, leave our parents' house. And, you know, it's just this idea of freedom. You know, now we're no longer under the dominion of our parents. We get to make our own choices, do our, do whatever we want. And then the bills come in, you know, the rent is due or, uh, you know, there are assignments. If we're students, there's projects and papers and all these responsibilities. This is 
readjustment of expectations. There's relationships, whether friendships or romantic ones, or even in marriage, there's all these hopes and dreams of what that's going to look like until we find out we're in a relationship with a sinner (laughs) that can hurt us and sometimes drastically hurt us and deeply wound us. There's parenting. You know, we have all these ideas of what that's going to look like. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And then the tantrums start, you know, in the middle of Trader Joe's. Uh, Or, you know, you see your kid. Like I remember the first time I watched my son, you know, reach for something. And he looks at me and he gives that smile that kids do. He knows he's not supposed to touch it. And he goes for it anyway. And it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's actually really offensive. <laughs> like, you're no longer the, the cute kid you were just five seconds ago. You, you, you're, you're a little sinner. So it's all these readjustment of expectations, right? And when, those, when the expectations are, are particularly high and the reality we experience is, is worse, sometimes way worse than what we expected, it's not just a matter of readjusting expectations. That experience, especially really traumatic suffering, can shatter us, can shatter the core of who we are and even what we believe, shatter the very fabric of our faith. And in those experiences, at times we can wonder if it's even worth to pick up the pieces and put it back together. We see a man in this text whose expectations and the core of who he is, and even his faith, I believe, has been shattered. And he's, he's left with all the pieces in front of him, wondering if it's even worth to keep going. Wondering if it's even worth to come back and believe in these promises that you and I believe today. What I hope is, is that we see in this text that the risen Jesus reaches down to our weak and skeptical hearts, and brings us into a greater faith and calling through his death and resurrection. The risen Jesus reaches down to our weak and skeptical hearts and brings us into a greater faith and calling through his death and resurrection. There's three things I want to talk about with that. First is a shattered faith. Second is the Savior's compassion. And third is uh, the special calling. Shattered faith, Savior's compassion, special calling. So first, a, a shattered faith. And if you notice, there's two scenes talked about in the text we just read. There's Jesus meets with the disciples, and then Jesus meets with Thomas. And we're really going to focus mainly on Thomas, because there's similarity in those two groups. And if you even notice in the scenes, there's kind of this pattern of what happens. Jesus appears. He shows up to the disciples. Uh, there's, there's a revealing of, of his, his wounds. There's a response by the disciples and, and Thomas, and there's a word from Jesus. And so even though there's similarities, I think Thomas kind of is the bottom of the barrel of, of, of where the disciples are at. Everyone is, is, is doubting and isn't believing in the promises that Jesus had told them for the years that he was with them before his death. All of them are experiencing a level of unbelief. But I think Thomas, particularly, just deeply wrestling with unbelief. But I think, you know, in, in some ways, we have these perceptions of Thomas, which I don't, I don't know are, are fully accurate. You know, what's the, what's the Thomas we give title? Or, we, or what's the title we give Thomas? Doubting Thomas. This, this event has just totally scarred his, his reputation. This is how we see him now. And it's true. You know, we'll talk about that. 
But I think we, we often think Thomas is having this just intellectual struggle. You know, we, we kind of see him as the poster child of, you know, this is a guy who just wants proof. He just wants evidence. Just give him, give him the proof. And we have all of this, the, this study of, of the validity of Scripture and all this external evidence that we have to say. And it's true that what we believe, it's not make-believe. It's not just, you know, you know just out of, out of nowhere. There's actual intellectual and academic credibility to what we believe. But I think it's, it's deeper than that. You know, I think sometimes we think of Thomas as, you know, the disciples come in and they visit with, they say, hey, we see, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas is sitting there, you know, swirling his wine, you know, reading a copy of Aristotle and, you know, has just got out of philosophy 101 and has all the, you know, theories of the metaphysical universe. And he's just like, oh, unless I touch his hands and, you know, put my hand in his, in his side, I will never believe you know, we, we, we think of it as, as intellectual, but I think it's, it's so much more emotional for him. Thomas was not, you know, a, 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 a just, I don't know about this Jesus kind of disciple. I, we see him as being someone who is deeply committed to Jesus when he was on earth and, and while he was alive before his death and resurrection. And there's a particular event, a scene where we see that in John 11, it's the famous chapter where Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Before that, he announces that to his disciples. He says, hey, we're going to go to Judea. Thomas is sick. I'm going to raise him from the dead. The disciples object, and they say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Last time we were there, the Jews wanted to kill you, and now you want to go back. That's a suicide mission. That, that's stupid. Why would you ever want to go back to the people who want to kill you? And the person who tips the scales for the disciples is Thomas. Thomas is the one who convinces them to go. And he actually says, he tells them, he's like, let us go that we might die with him. That doesn't sound like, you know, a toe in the water disciple. That's someone who's committed to the point of being willing to die, being willing to die for Jesus. And then we also see him kind of chime in in times where he's asking questions. He's wrestling with what Jesus is saying, like all of us do, you know, just committed to the Lord. Like all the disciples, he left his career, his livelihood. You know, some of them left their families to follow Jesus. Committed, spending the better part of three years with Jesus. Well, we also know many of the disciples had missed expectations of what Jesus was there to do. They believed that Jesus was coming to establish a physical kingdom and dominate over the Romans. Overthrow the Romans, bring in this new kingdom, and they would enjoy the blessings of that. Now, we want to give some kind of space to that because in the Old Testament, you know, we know, we know the big picture. Jesus came to die. He rose from the dead. He paid for our sins, the redemption that comes from that. We also know that there's a second coming. Jesus is coming back. He's going to establish his new kingdom. There's going to be eternal blessing, uh, uh, eternal life. We're going to be with the Lord in, in total bliss, away from sin. All of that, we know it. But in the Old Testament, Sometimes those two events were spoken of in the same breath. So a lot of disciples believed, even the Jews believed, that when Jesus came as Messiah, that he was going to bring all that at once. And in their mind, what that looked like is overthrowing the Romans. So we can imagine and think of, you know, where they're at mentally in an expectation. What happens to Jesus? He's killed by the Romans. Not only, you know, killed, but he surrenders himself. He doesn't even put up a fight. Even Peter pulls out his sword, and what does Jesus tell him? Put that away. 
this isn't, this isn't why I've come. Put that sword away. And he gives himself to the Romans. He surrenders himself and then goes through one of the most shameful deaths in that culture. I mean, crucifixion was one of the most shameful deaths to be dealt to somebody. It was only for criminals, and it was very public. Jesus was ridiculed, mocked, beaten, and then he was hung on a cross for everyone to see. Publicly displayed at the foot or at the entrance of Jerusalem. So anyone coming in and out of Jerusalem, that's the first thing that they would see. Their savior, their Lord, their leader, they thought was going to bring victory to them, is now killed by the people group that many of them probably hated the most. So we think about that, where Thomas is at, with that kind of expectation, he's left just shattered. You know, it's, it's, it's traumatic. This would be kind of diagnosed trauma for the disciples. And I think that's, that's where Thomas is at. And we even see kind of signs that it's, it's a deeper thing for him than just this intellectual, you know, I don't know, I just need more proof kind of thing. Versus he wasn't, with the disciples the first time. He wasn't with the disciples when Jesus shows up. And the, the author actually points that out. And I think that's intentional. It's sure, maybe he wasn't on the group text, you know, when they invite everyone was talking about, hey, let's show up, you know, come to the upper room. Doors are going to be locked at five. Um, come afraid. Uh, but the, the author puts, puts that down as a note to say he wasn't there. He was, he was absent. He's already removing himself from the disciples. He's already removing himself from any memory or association with Jesus. He's on the edge. He's on the fringe. He's looking at the back, at, at the exit. The other thing is, is actually in his answer to one of the disciples. He gives all these, these qualifications, unless I not only see, but I, I, I touch and I feel. And the last thing he says that, you know, a lot of English translations say, I, I will not believe. The ESV, I think, actually gets it right, or at the very least, it's closer. It says, I will never believe. You know, in the original language, there's indication that it's a stronger word that, that Thomas is using than just a simple, I, I don't know, I just need a little bit more proof. And even English, when we hear that, I will never believe, is, it brings so much more force to what's being said. That Thomas is actually, I think, saying, don't, no, don't come at me with that. Don't expect me to join you guys. Don't expect me to hop back on that horse or join that circus after all I've been through. If you expect me to just jump in with you guys, all excited that all of you guys are, and I'm so happy, <laughs> I'm so stoked that Jesus showed up for you, <laughs> but not for me. This is what is needed. I need to take my hands and press them into his wounds. I need to take my hand and watch it disappear in his side. If you expect me to join you guys, otherwise don't. No, it's too, it's too hard. It's too difficult after all I've seen and all I've been through and all I've given to Jesus for everything to just fall apart. I can't do it. I think Thomas looks more like an ex-evangelical or deconstructionist than just a simple skeptic. This is a guy who grew up in the church. 
this is a guy who was devoted. He volunteered, he led ministries, he was a leader, he was on staff. This is a guy who knew the right answers, but he had just experienced one of the traumatic moments of his life and he's just shattered. And now he's looking at the exit. Now he's wondering, is this even worth it? And his disciples are coming to him all excited and he just, he just can't come on board. And maybe friends, you know, you've, you've hit those moments. Maybe you're in that moment right now. You've experienced some incredible trauma of a relationship or hurt being dealt by an authority figure or even in a relationship and in a marriage. You know, your marriage has fallen apart or you're just watching your kids just make a mess of their life. You know, now it, it just leaves you just in pieces, wondering if God loves you, if God cares for you, if God knows you, God wants you, if he's even there. You know, and maybe, you know, this is, we're reading a book that, that has difficult parts to it, you know? And all of us have those wrestling and challenges and have those questions, and God gives us space for that, but it can leave us in this place of just confusion and spiraling out and wondering what our future is going to look like. You know? Maybe you've been hurt by church leaders, you know, ministers, and you're, you're just... It's, quite, it's, 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 it's forced you to question just the core of what you believe and what they've taught you. And I want us to hold that for a second because Jesus shows up midst of Thomas' life and he responds to him. That Jesus comes to the disciples and to Thomas and the first thing he says is peace to you. Now, some scholars think that this is just a simple greeting. This is just like a simple hello, which was common in that culture. It's true. Yeah, people would, would greet each other, just a regular old greeting, peace be to you. You know, hello. But Jesus says this three times in, this, in these two scenes, which often when there's, there's repetition, it, it's, it's getting us to focus on it. And I think that's what's happening here, that Jesus saying these words is referring more than just a simple greeting. We actually have in John, just a few chapters back in John 14, when Jesus is meeting with the disciples in the upper room and he's giving all these great promises of, you know, the Holy Spirit coming. Uh, he, he proclaims to them, he says, peace I leave to you. This is in verse 27. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What Jesus is promising there in John 14 isn't just a momentary, you know, a, a peace that just comes and goes, a good feeling, feeling happy, feeling just, you know, away from distractions. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. It's, it's this real, eternal, everlasting peace. Peace first with God. Because so what do we know? Our sin and, 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 and our devotion to our sin without Jesus, without the love and grace that we have in Jesus brings us in war with God, that we are at war with God just, just by default because of our devotion to our own sin. And then therefore needing God's mercy and grace and in order to be right with God, we need peace. And that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring that eternal and everlasting peace with God. But he did that by dying, by taking the wrath and punishment that was meant for you and I, for that scripture calls are God's enemies. Jesus came and took that punishment upon himself when he died. 
And the reality of his resurrection seals that peace for us. When Jesus is coming and the first thing he announces to his disciples is not, why did you abandon me <laughs> in the garden? Why did you leave me? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't talk about that. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is peace be to you. Eternal, everlasting peace over them. And friends, whether you feel it or not, the gospel brings that peace to you. Here and now, even if you, you don't experience it, you don't feel good, you're just questioning all of these things. If you're trusting in Jesus, that peace is over you. That eternal, everlasting peace is yours. Jesus pronounces that over you, that we get to experience in, in, in a momentary way in this world. We get to experience that everlasting peace, and God promises that works itself out in us, but it's also that peace that you and I are going to experience fully when Jesus comes and totally removes us from sin, death, uh, and suffering. But then he appears to Thomas, that Jesus comes and visits with Thomas, and he doesn't say, you had your chance. You should have believed your homies. They saw it. They, you know, they saw the wounds. They were with me for three years. You were with them. Why would you ever doubt them? Why wouldn't you trust them? You had your chance, man. There's a door. Like, I'll deal with these guys, and, and we have a whole plan, but this isn't, this isn't for you. Jesus appears to Thomas, and what does he do? Not only does he show him his scars, but he invites him to come and touch them. He invites him to come, and he says, Thomas, you want to feel my wounds, here they are. Here they are. Go ahead. Put your hand in my side. You, here, here's your chance. Go ahead. It's not mocking Thomas. Jesus is actually coming, and the risen Lord is actually reaching down to Thomas. The exalted Christ after his resurrection is still reaching down to the people he loves. He loves Thomas so much that he doesn't want to leave him in this place of just bitter unbelief that he actually goes out of his way to visit with Thomas. And the reality, friends, what that means is that Jesus coming to Thomas and pronouncing his peace and his gospel to them, that that unbelief that Thomas was holding on to in doubt was crucified on the cross. It was paid for. And that Jesus appears before his father and he says, even though Thomas is holding on to this bitter unbelief, he's mine. Here's the proof. Here's the proof. I've paid for him. I've paid for you, Thomas. He shows up for him. And friends, that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus shows up and continues to remind us, even in the moments where it feels like he couldn't be further away, that Jesus shows up for us and continues to remind us of his promise. And continues to remind us of the payment he made for you and me. He continues to show up and remind us of the grace that we have in him. We feel it or not. That just feels, our, whether it's our sin or fear or doubt, it's just clouding all of our vision. Jesus is still meeting with us, reaching down to us with his scarred hands and saying, this is what I paid for you. This is how much I love you. Even though you're holding on to this unbelief, this is, this is the proof of how much I love you. This is what I've done for you. So that's the Savior's compassion you know, that he reaches down and has come for us in the gospel, the hope that we have, 
when there's all this doubt and fear, we can always turn back to the reality that Jesus has come for us. And that's the proof that God is good. The proof that God loves us is because he sent Jesus. The gospel reality breaks into our place of, of unbelief and doubt that Jesus has come, that it really has raised from the dead. That reality is true for us now, and it's going to just be so much more and more beautiful as time goes on and we wait for uh, eternity. But then there's a special calling that Jesus gives his disciples, and he gives us a special calling. First, he, he doesn't leave Thomas in his unbelief. Often when Jesus meets with people and there's a sin that they're you know, that's, that's clouding and they're holding on to, Jesus doesn't just toss it aside. He often addresses it. He kind of faces it head on, and that's what he does with Thomas. He says, stop believing. Don't be unbelieving, but, or stop, don't be unbelieving, but, but believe. He wants Thomas to, to continue in a, in a deeper faith. He meets him, he pronounces that peace, but he calls him to trust. He calls him to continue uh, to trust in his promises. You know, he doesn't want Thomas to continue to just be in this place of, of unbelief, but calls him into a deeper faith. And that's something, friends, that Jesus calls you and I into. One of the wonderful things about this passage is that as it ends, you know, Jesus says, and he talks to Thomas, he's like, have you believed because you see me? Blessed are those who have not seen, but believe. Now, Jesus isn't kind of slapping uh, Thomas across the face. It's, it's more of a, a looking ahead to you and I, actually, to the, the, the last verses of this text. Because you and I don't have the luxury of seeing the risen Jesus, but we do have God's word that has that same force and promise and life that you and I have in Jesus. And so what Jesus is calling us into is, is running back to his promises, running back to a deeper faith when all of our world is falling apart. We come back to what God has promised us in his word. God has given us in his gospel that Jesus has come, that Jesus does love us. We continue to run back the assurance that we have that comes from the gospel and God's word. Sometimes that's a slow journey. Sometimes that's just a, just a small step of saying, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you're even here. I don't feel you. I, it, just, it feels like you're gone, that you don't care for me, that you don't love me. But Lord, help me. Help me to trust. Help me to believe in what you're saying. Everything around me, my own voice is telling me it's not true. Help me. And it's a simple step of just leaning in to the promise of God. Sometimes it, it is this great revelation, like with Thomas, my Lord and my God, we just see the glory and beauty of what God is doing and, and his mercy and his grace. And it's just so much more palpable. But sometimes it's just that simple and just, ordinary, just leaning into Jesus. And God promises, friends, that he will help us. And we sing about that, great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful. God is faithful to continue to show up and lift us up, even when our weak just, or, or when, our, when our faith just feels like it's a thread or even non-existent. God shows up for us and he lifts us up. And it's also, friends, that, you know, if, if, if you're here, you don't know the Lord, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, we're so glad you're here. And this is a call to you. 
that God is, is calling you. Maybe you've driven your car of life just in a ditch and there's, there's nowhere else to go and you've, you've run that out as far as it can go. God is calling you. Jesus is calling you, saying, this is what I've paid. This is what I've given for you. Come. There's no other life or peace that you can have in this world. It's only through me. Jesus is inviting you, friend. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you. Any of the staff here uh, would love to chat about that. But remember, God is calling even you. There's also the greater mission. This is the second thing that, that Jesus calls his disciples and he calls us into. There's this interesting scene at the, at the end of, of, of the first scene where Jesus is meeting with the disciples. It says they breathe uh, the Holy Spirit on them. And he says, uh, as the Father has sent me, even though I am sending you. And at the end, he says, uh, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Uh, and if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, we can get deep in the weeds in this, this text. There's a lot of, you know, theology and talk about what Jesus is saying here. Really briefly, what Jesus is talking about is, is a special kind of authority he gave his apostles. We call it apostolic authority. We ourselves don't have that same kind of power and authority. The disciples had that to be able to go and pronounce this forgiveness and pronounce the gospel. But we also know that what the disciples did was write this scripture. They gave us their word that, that God worked in them and through them to give us what we have now as, as God's word. And Jesus sending out his disciples with divine power, with divine power that comes from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to bring life, to bring resurrection life into the world. And even though you and I don't have that same power in and through us, but we do have God's word, that we have the power that is here, that we can bring people to the source, that we can bring people and tell people about the resurrection life that is true for them, no matter where they are, no matter where they are in their walk or, or how far they seem from ever believing in this uh, gospel and this reality. What God promises us as he, sent, as he sends us out, which he calls all of us to, He's sending us out into the world. He's sending us out into the, the people and the communities and places that you and I find ourselves in. You know, go in all the world, Matthew 28, preach the gospel, make disciples. That's a calling for all of us. And we can bring people to the source of life. That as John promises, is, is kind of the thesis of, of this gospel saying that these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And by believing you may have what? Life in his name. Friends, the life you and I have, that you and I experience, we get to share that. We get to tell people about Jesus. And God promises that we get to watch people, spiritually dead hearts, come to life. That we get to see the resurrection life being worked out in others, in each other as we grow in our faith and our walk with the Lord, but also in those who don't know him. We get to bring the gospel to those people and God allows us to see his resurrection power working in and through them. And if they belong to Jesus, friends, no matter how far they seem, God is gonna call them to himself. And he invites us, he invites us to be a part of that. 
He invites us to be a part of that resurrection life that he's working in the world. The resurrection power that is through his gospel. He calls us and he sends us out with that same mission and calling. And he calls Thomas <laughs> into this. The Thomas who just had a, 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 a just almost non-existent faith, he still brings Thomas into this and says, this is, this is for you as well. Go into the world. Tell people what Jesus has done. And friends, I imagine that this was a common story that he told people, that what Jesus had did for him, that Jesus showed up for him when his faith just seemed totally gone, that Jesus reached down to him, that this was a story that he was just on repeat with people. And friends, that's what God invites us to do, to tell our story, to tell people about Jesus, to bring people to the source of the resurrection life that we have in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, that you came for us, for us, your people. Lord, all of us came from different walks of life. Some were just had no want or, or, or thought about you, and yet you rescued us, and you showed your love, and you've, you've by your resurrection, Jesus, or working that resurrection life in and through us. Lord, our faith is weak. God, many times we feel helpless. We go through seasons of life of just tragedy, difficulty, hardship. Some of us are carrying deep traumatic wounds. Help us, Lord. Heal those wounds. Help us in our, in our weak faith to grow in it, to trust in you, to lean in your promises. And Lord, help us as we go out into the world, as we go into our communities, into our families, and the people groups that we find ourselves in, that we would be bringing, Lord, and, and, and telling people about you, Jesus, the resurrection power that could be theirs and the life that they can have in you. So help us, Lord, as we go into the world and we ourselves grow as followers of Jesus. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.